1963, a man by the name of Morris Hillman had a daughter who came down with a viral infection known as the mumps. Now, being a microbiologist, Morris thought, I'm going to take a, a throat swab of my daughter and I'm going to see what I can do with it. So that's what he did. He took a swab of her throat and that night he went to his lab. Now, from that, he developed, Morris developed the vaccine for mumps. Now, if that was all, that'd be pretty significant. But you see, Morris Hillman went on to develop over 40 life-saving vaccines, including really common ones that our kids have gotten. Things like measles, chickenpox, rubella, hepatitis A and B. So he is really the, uh, the, the godfather of vaccines. And yet I wonder how many of us have even heard of the name Morris Hillman. Oh, what about James Harrison? Uh, Harrison is known as the man with the golden arm. You see, James's blood produces a rare type of antibody which cures a fatal disease in unborn children. Now, this guy has the uh, the Guinness World Book Rec Guinness World Record of most blood donations. He's done it 1,173 times, and it's estimated that his blood, his donations, have saved the lives of almost 2.4 million unborn babies. Now, have you heard of James uh, James Harrison? Well, I haven't either. Now, what about Henrietta Lacks? Now, after the birth of her fifth child in 1951, Henrietta was admitted to hospital and doctors took a sample of Henrietta's tissue. It was soon noticed that unlike normal cells, her cells didn't die after a few days, but actually continued to grow, uh, doubling every 20 to 24 hours. Um, her cells were known as immortal cells, and it became a, a cell line called the H-E-L-A cell line, named after her. Now, her cell line has been used by medical researchers studying cancer, hemophilia, influenza, leukemia, and Parkinson's disease. Uh, her cell lines were used to develop the polio vaccine, uh, the cancer drug, um, tamo tamoxifen, uh, doing chemotherapy, gene mapping, a whole list of other uses. She was another life-changing individual, and yet I'll bet none of us have even heard of Henrietta Lacks. Now, why do I mention these three people? Uh, you see, Romans 16, the passage we just read, is full of people like Morris and James and Henrietta, people, people that you've never heard of. I mean, did you, did you recognize those names when we read it earlier? Apart from a couple, probably not. You see, these are not famous early Christians like the Apostle Paul or Barnabas or Timothy or James or Peter. These are mentioned once and never mentioned again. And yet, here's the thing, in their ordinariness, these people changed the world and impacted eternity. And I'm not exaggerating here, they really did. Which means what? Well, it means that ordinary Christians, like you, like me, well, we can do the same, can't we? You see, when we came up with the theme, onwards, upwards, outwards, you remember that at the beginning of 2021, we really didn't expect to be where we are right now in September. I mean, how could we, can we even think about being outward looking or, or missional and make an impact when Sydney is under the tightest lockdown it's ever experienced? Well, the answer is actually here, right here in Romans 16, that passage we just read in this list of unexceptional, unfamous and ordinary believers. You see, they'll teach us what it looks like to be outward looking, even in lockdown. Are you ready to go? Let's pray and get into it. Heavenly Father, we pray that in this list, 
in this chapter where most people will skip over, you will show us and speak to us about their lives in order that we as a church might look outwards, even in the time of lockdown. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's have a look at these 26 ordinary Christians. Now, these verses, uh, just a bit of context, come at the end of Paul's longest and probably most important letter. Now, I don't know how many of you have read all of the Harry Potter books. I started in book one um, before all of them were released, and, and every year they came up with a new one. But by the time you reach the last book, right, book seven, uh, you'll notice it's more than twice the length of any other books, because it's the one, Harry Potter 7, where everything is revealed. It's the climax. Romans, I think, is a little bit like book seven of Paul's letters. It's the, the letter of Paul's that most fully explains the gospel, the good news of Jesus. You see, Romans begins with these astounding words. Paul says that the gospel is the power of God that brings salvation for anyone and everyone who believes. Because in this gospel is the good news about Jesus, Jesus who died for our sins and rose again from the dead. And through him, God has actually made a way for us to be righteous, to be right with him if we believe. Now, that's right at the beginning of Romans, but the rest of the letter expands on how in all these different areas, different ways, this powerful gospel does really change everything and change everyone for all eternity. Let me just pause here. If you're not yet a follower of Jesus or you're not really sure, I wonder if you know and understand this gospel. I wonder if you have embraced this good news. And if you haven't, can I just encourage you, urge you to come along to Alpha starting in a month's time. Well, back to Romans. Romans 16 is the last chapter of this monumental letter. Now, as I said before, it's the chapter that most people, readers, will gloss over. Most preachers won't bother preaching about Romans 16. Because from appearances, what is it? It's a, it's a list of names, isn't it? Now, I know there are going to be ancient historians who will like drool and salivate over lists like these. But for the rest of us, it's pretty uninteresting, isn't it? Now, just as a quick aside, um, you won't get lists like these in the scriptures of other religions, right? You don't, you don't see it in the Quran, in the Buddhist or Hindu scriptures, in the Book of Mormon. It just reminds us that Christianity is unique because it is really a historical faith. This is something rooted in real people, real events. It's verifiable and testable in history. This does read like a, a letter, right, from ancient history, because it is. Now, it, it seems unremarkable, as I said, but it's one of those things that you dig a little deeper and you're going to find gold. So here's a few things about these 26 ordinary Christians. Number one, they're unfamous, all right? Out of these 26, you may have probably only heard of two. That is verse three, Priscilla and Aquila. They're mentioned about six times in, in the whole of the New Testament, a few times in Acts and a couple of Paul's letters. Now, there's one other name you may uh, have heard of, and, and that's Rufus. Oh, great name, isn't it? Rufus sounds like the name of your dog. But anyway, verse 13, Rufus. Um, now, his dad may have been Simon of Cyrene, right, who carried Jesus's cross on the way to the crucifixion. Uh, Rufus is mentioned in that in, in, as Simon of Cyrene's son in Mark 15, 21, just as a curiosity. Now, that may be the same Rufus. We're not really sure. Okay, but other than those, right, Priscilla, Aquila, possibly Rufus, no one else of this 26 Christians are mentioned anywhere else in the entire Bible. 
right? They are totally unfamous. Secondly, this is a very diverse group of names. Now, scholars, historians, people with much, much bigger brains than me and with PhDs, they, they looked at the list of names and they can pretty confidently deduce that uh, this is a diverse group of people in that these names reflect that there are going to be Jews and Gentiles, right? non-Jews. Um, their, their names here, they show that a lot of them were probably slaves or former slaves that are now freed. Um, there were local Romans who actually lived in Rome, as well as people who were like immigrants, like a lot of our family who came to Rome from all over the world. Uh, there were wealthy people and poor people. But most significantly, probably, is just how many women are mentioned in this list. Did you notice that? Now, that may not seem like an important thing to us, but it's so important in the ancient world. He spends, Paul spends so much time greeting and speaking well of women in a society and cultures where women had no social or legal status. That is really significant. But thirdly, and most importantly, um, overwhelmingly, these people uh, meant a lot to Paul because they were partners. Now, keep in mind, Paul is writing to a city, but not just any city. This Rome, okay, was the center of the world, the center of the empire. And this was a city that Paul had never been to, but he was planning to visit. Now, this letter becomes part of his preparation. He's kind of, I'm coming to visit. I want to write to you first. And so he's greeting a whole bunch of people in Rome who meant something to him, most of whom he knew or knew of. But why did they mean something to him? Well, they meant something to Paul because they were partners with Paul in some way. All right, he's a missionary, a, a preacher, a teacher, a pastor, a church planter, but they partnered with Paul in all these different ways, which means that along with Paul, they really did change the world. And I want to show you from the list the number of different categories these people belong to. None is more important than any other. They're all super important. They all partnered with Paul. Let's start with missionaries, though. Uh, there were fellow missionaries on this list who served on the mission field with Paul. Now, anytime you, you see co-worker mentioned in these verses, that's what Paul means. So Priscilla and Aquila, verse 3, Urbanus, verse 9, they were co-workers. But then there were also fellow missionaries who didn't serve with Paul, whom he, he heard of. Um, Andronicus and Junia in verse 7 were such outstanding missionaries. The word they Paul uses is, is apostles. Now, this is apostles with a small a, which kind of just means sent ones, missionaries. They were outstanding among the small a apostles, the missionaries. But then secondly, there were church workers. They, these are people who served in their local church in, in various capacities. Now, there, there may have been official capacities, and you see that in verse 1. All right, verse 1, uh, Phoebe, who, who, who's important because she actually took this letter that Paul wrote. All right, this was real snail mail back in the day. She would have hand-delivered this letter to the churches in Rome. She gets first mentioned, and she gets mentioned as a deacon in the local church. Um, that was probably an official role, just like we have deacons, right, team leaders at our church in Sweck, um, who are both male and female. Phoebe is obviously a female. And of course, it was Priscilla and Aquila. Um, Paul says they had a church that meets in their home. Now, it's not just that they opened up their home, but probably they were the, the house churches, like leaders slash pastors. All right. 
And then uh, you see in verse 6, Mary, uh, verse 12, Tryphena and Tryphosa, as well as Persis. Again, people you never heard of, right? Um, this Mary is likely not any of the other famous Marys in the gospel. Mary was, it was a very common name, like Jack or John. Um, th there's a bunch of women, and, and Paul says in those verses, they worked very hard. Now, their work was probably tied to all sorts of unofficial stuff that many of you do in our local church, in your local church. Things like um, discipling others, teaching, um, leading. Uh, so just an aside, if this is you, right, you do all these kind of different work for the Lord in, in, in our church at SWEC, in your local church, can I just encourage you to keep doing it? I know it's particularly hard in lockdown. And a lot of this stuff you'll never get famous for. You may never even really get recognized for. And I think particularly at SWEC, it's the, the Sunday school teachers, right? You guys are amazing. Now you're putting on online lessons and you're caring for the, that's amazing. Youth leaders every Friday night, right? You may not get recognized for it, but this is exactly the kind of faithful and hard work that does change people's lives for all eternity. So keep going. All right, thirdly, helpers. Um, the church in Rome was not one big church. It was no official building. It was likely a number of house churches, all right, 20, 30 people meeting in people's homes. Now, a number of them are mentioned here, uh, in addition to those who met at Priscilla and Aquila's house, which meant that each one of these house churches needed a home, which meant it depended on someone's hospitality. That's an incredible helping ministry, right? Hospitality opening up your home, sharing your resources, especially in that culture where hospitality was actually a real, uh, really involved thing of caring for people. Okay, um, let's go back to Phoebe though. Look at Phoebe. Verse two, Paul says, he's really important. He says that she is a benefactor to many, including Paul. Now, what he means by benefactor is that Phoebe was probably quite wealthy. And she used her wealth to support people like Paul, people on the mission field. Uh, it's the idea of being a patron. You've heard of that word, of being a patron. Uh, those who use their wealth to sponsor, make possible the work of others. But in this context, the gospel work of others. Now, I think a lot of you may have heard of George Whitfield, the preacher and the leader of what was known as the First Great Awakening, this amazing revival that happened in the 18th century. Well, here's the thing. Whitfield could not have done it without an amazing benefactor, a patron. This woman um, who may, many of you may never have heard of, her name is Selina, the Countess of Huntington. Um, Selina was widowed at the age of 39, but she spent the next 40 years using her wealth, she was married to a count, um, to make ministries of Whitfield and countless others possible by her support by her money. You see, it's people like Phoebe and Selena who make our ministries possible. I don't know how many of you know this, but you know our Bankstown plant that we planted in 2015, those of you at Bankstown, we did it with partially with the support of gospel patrons, which means these are people who didn't come to SWEC, who don't come to SWEC now. In fact, I don't even know these people's names. Because there there's actually a group of wealthy Christians in Sydney who have a fund that is specifically used to support church plants and gospel ventures, right? including the one that we did back in 2015 with Bankstown. 
and the ministry of rice. For some of you involved in rice before, which has seen thousands of youth come to know Jesus, that exists because, again, of gospel patrons. You see, this isn't going to be everyone, all right? In fact, it's going to be probably only very few people among us. But here's the thing, right? Have a think about this. Some of you, some of you have more than enough disposable income, or you will in the future. And it might be due to your profession, or it might be due to investments, or maybe inheritance. You know, you've got wealthy parents or grandparents. Will you consider being a generous gospel patron? Right, this money that you have, this property, you cannot take it with you, right? Your kids only need that much money. In fact, it's probably better to get them to step out on their own. So will you use it to invest in people's eternity? I mean, even non-Christians like Warren Buffett, Bill Gates have, have pledged to give all of their wealth away. I know we're not that rich. But if they're non-Christians and they have an attitude of let's use our wealth for good, how much more so those who are Christians? Well, one more. Let, let's come back to, to Rufus. Uh, in fact, let's not just come back to Rufus. Let's come back to Rufus's mum. All right. Um, verse 13, Paul says, Greet Rufus, a chosen in the Lord, and his mum, who has been a mother to me also. Now, we don't know anything about Rufus's mom. We don't even know her name. But what beautiful words Paul says of her, that she has been a mom to Paul as well, to the great apostle. See how fondly he speaks of her. She is a spiritual mom to Paul. Now, I don't know in what way she was a mom to him. We don't know in, 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 whether it was just by her care for him, um, helping him in his spiritual walk as a prayer. We, we really don't know. But I think you get the picture, right? And, and I want to challenge those of you, those of us who are over the age of, you know, maybe about 40. See, now that your kids are slightly older or some of you old, much older than me, your kids have grown up. Who are you a spiritual mom or a spiritual dad to? Because that's a significant, significant ministry. Now, those of you under 40, don't want to leave you out. You can be a spiritual big brother or a big sister too, can't you? All right, final category, friends. Um, these are those who've just been friends of Paul. Um, in some way, all of the people I've mentioned earlier were friends of Paul. But then there are others like verse 9, Stackies. What a name, huh? Stackies. Um, verse 12, Persis, um, Paul uses the word dear friends. Literally, they are the beloved, okay? Some of the most significant ways you can love and care for those in gospel ministry, you know, missionaries, pastors like me, is just by being our friend. Like, don't underestimate how important that is to us. Ministry, full-time ministries, particularly a very, very lonely profession in a lot of ways. So when you care for us, when you pray for us, when you, when, by your company with us, by your thoughtful words and gifts, by your offers to help, like that is so incredible, your friendship. Uh, just from the bottom of my heart, our hearts, Karen and me, we just want to thank so many of you who've done that. You've been our friends um, over the years, but particularly we've seen it over lockdown. You guys have shown so much kindness to us. We get surprise packages, deliveries, uh, messages. Thank you, thank you, thank you. This means so much. Um, please don't stop it. Not with us particularly, but with, with all of the other gospel workers, you know, our missionary partners overseas, um, our other pastors. Um, 
we really, really, really love your friendship. Okay, so that's Romans 16. Let's uh, draw it all together. What can we conclude from all of this? Now, if you know me, you'll know I am not much of a gardener at all. I pretty, you know, there's green thumb, right? When someone touches anything and, and, and it grows, I'm not one of them. I don't know what the opposite of a green thumb is. Maybe a brown thumb. Sounds a bit rude, but anyway, that's me. I cannot grow anything. But those of you who are good gardeners, um, you'll probably know that the best season for sowing and planting is when? It's actually autumn. Because in autumn, it's still sort of warm enough for young plants to take root. And they need to do that before winter. But it's not um, too cold during winter when nothing grows. And it's not too warm like summer uh, or spring even in Australia where it actually might kill the young plants. So if you plant in autumn, it'll take root and uh, strengthen in winter and then get ready to blossom and harvest in spring and summer. So that's why we plant in autumn. Now, why do I tell you that? I wonder if you've ever thought that perhaps the season we're in now, lockdown, COVID, right? Season has been in the last year and a half already. What if lockdown is like autumn? Which means what if we're not to focus on what we can't do, right? The freedoms we lost, church going online, I miss you, you miss each other, I'm sure, miss singing, disconnection, boredom, tiredness, all that. Like in autumn, right? Don't just look at the leaves falling and the colors changing to that dull brown. But what if lockdown is actually the time for sowing? for planting, just like in autumn, that this is the time we sow into the next season of God's work in the world. Because who knows, revival, spring could just be around the corner. Right? But, but even if revival is not around the corner, even if, if spring and summer aren't going to come back in our lifetime, guess what? We're sowing into eternity, right? That's how we look outwards. That's how you look outwards, even in lockdown. You got that? Be a faithful sower, right? Put those seeds in, tiny little seeds. Be faithful in the little things, right? Trust God for the harvest to come. I'm going to suggest three areas, all starting with P. You see it there. Right? Sow into people, preparation, and prayer. So firstly, people. Sow into people, right? Care for people. Love people, Connect with people. And what I mean again in lockdown is, is the little things, the small faithful gestures, the conversations, the messages, the calls. All of them mean more than you can possibly know. And especially in lockdown, please keep in mind four groups of people, right? Obviously, unbelieving friends and family. Keep them in mind. Care for them. Connect with them. Secondly, the vulnerable, the hurting, the struggling, the broken. Thirdly, already mentioned before, the full-time gospel workers, missionary families, pastors, our pastors' wives, and fourthly, church leaders. I think about sowing into caring for, connecting with those groups of people especially. Now, you know that Steve Jobs and the Apple Corporation literally changed the world uh, with, with the invention of the iPhone. Even those of you like me who are now Android users, we owe it to, to the iPhone, don't we? But think about eternity. Think about two million years into the new creation, into eternity. Will Steve Jobs still be remembered? 
I think the answer is no. Right? In eternity, Steve Jobs, Apple will be like so many things in this world. They have come and gone. They won't be remembered in eternity, but I'll tell you who will be remembered. All right? The people who are encouraged or maybe sent a gift or given some money or invited to come to Alpha via the technology that Steve Jobs developed, the iPhone. Yeah, you get what I mean? Steve Jobs, the inventor of iPhone, won't be remembered. But when you pick up a phone or a device to message someone, to invite someone to come to Alpha, to send a gift to someone, right, to connect with someone, that's going to be remembered. Why? Because it's not things, but people who last into eternity. Right? Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Everything we have, all this stuff will perish when Jesus returns. People will face eternity. So don't let lockdown hinder you from investing and sowing into the eternal by sowing into people. So that's the first. Second, preparation. For uh, the very few of you, I gather, who are actually getting fitter and working out during lockdown, um, you have my absolute admiration because it's not me, all right? I'm kind of the opposite. But I want to share with you this verse, 1 Timothy 4.8. Physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. All right? Physical training is of value, but only some value. Godliness, however, is eternally valuable. So what am I saying? Part of your preparation is to keep sowing into godliness. That is the best preparation for the spring and summer around the corner, or even if spring doesn't come in our lifetime, it is still the best preparation for eternity, isn't it? So don't let lockdown derail your daily walk with Jesus. Okay, I know it's hard to be motivated and disciplined at this time, but your prayer time, your Bible reading, um, fighting sin and temptation, developing character, all of those things are so important. There's, of course, other ways to sow into preparation, right? Um, if you, some of you, have more time in lockdown, use it to read more, right? To get into books and, and, and ideas or even take up an online course like the, the More College PTC, the Preliminary Theological Certificate, to grow in your Bible knowledge. Can I say this is a great time because in September we have mobilization month to so get involved. I know CGs aren't on. All right, but get involved in Mobilization Month because this is sowing. We want you to sow into and grow into someone who will serve God better, both now and especially when lockdown ends. Now, since it's Father's Day, I want to say a word to the dads right here. You see, so much of being a dad is unseen and unappreciated, isn't it? Right? No one's going to give you an award for your hard work and sacrifice. You know that. But keep going. Keep going. If Romans 16 has encouraged you in any way, it's to keep doing this, even without the appreciation recognition. And I want to encourage you dads to think long-term, right? Think about sowing into eternity. Think about legacy. Think about not just your children, but your children's children and their children's children. Who do you want them to be? And what are you going to do to sow into those things now? See, once you think that way, you'll, you'll understand that the way you love your wife, the way that you model and lead your family in godliness, the way that you 
spend time with your kids, take an interest in them. All of those things are sowing. All of those things matter. In fact, nothing you do outside of the home, no matter how great your career is, nothing you do outside of the home, even in terms of serving at church, will be as significant as the sowing you put into your family. So dads, let me encourage you to keep doing it, right? Sow into them. So living outwards, well, it is more challenging lockdown, isn't it? But as I said, God isn't looking for spectacular gestures. He's looking for ordinary, faithful sowing. Sow into people, sow into your own preparation. And of course, the final P, sow into prayer. But that, you'll have to wait for next week.